This is Conversations with Corliss, the leadership podcast that gives you real and authentic advice that can help you change your life for the better. Here we will listen to stories and have conversations with people who are just like you, people who are chasing their dreams and making them happen. Your host Corliss is a modern day purpose-driven leader. As an entrepreneur, she has developed a multi-million dollar business, leading thousands of people to discover their potential and reach their personal goals, all while balancing the responsibilities of raising her three children. She is a powerful, inspirational speaker, a certified success principles coach, and the founder and CEO of Corliss Co. Consulting Incorporated. Hi everyone, this is Conversations with Corliss, a real leadership podcast. Here we will talk about all the things it takes to bravely lead the life you deserve. Welcome to the conversation. You may have guessed it, my name is Corliss and I'm so glad you are here. I love hanging out with people who are motivated to be more and do more. It's exciting to be surrounded by positive people who want to grow and live to their full potential. I know that's you or you wouldn't have landed here. My goal in bringing you this podcast is to help you take control of your life, to rise up and be all you can be. Thank you for spending some time with me today. This is episode 018, Laughter is the Best Medicine, Find the Funny in Your Life with Dr. Lorraine Justice. It is said that laughter is and always will be the best form of therapy, and in times of crisis, we need to remember this. What we focus on expands. If you are feeling like the weight of the world is on your shoulders and life is just heavy, try to find a reason to smile. Try to lighten up and not take life too seriously. I met today's guest when I was given the opportunity to work with Jack Canfield, the co-author of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series and the author of The Success Principles. We met at a mastermind he was holding in his home in California. Her story fascinated me as she was the dean of a college venturing into the stand-up comedy space. She made us all laugh with her stand-up routine and we became fast friends. Lorraine was raised in a small blue-collar farming town near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where dreams of a great career and travel around the world were not possibilities. They were for Lorraine, although, who never gave up, put herself through school three times, earning a top degree. At the age of 48, she moved her family to Hong Kong. She put the American dream in storage in Atlanta for seven years, where she took the risk on a dream job. Lorraine speaks all over the world and is an international consultant and has been featured on both the TED and TEDx stages. I am really excited for you to meet her through this conversation, and I hope she helps you find the funny in your life. Welcome to the show, Lorraine. I have enjoyed every interaction that I've ever had with you since the day we met in Santa Barbara, California, and I'm very excited to share this conversation with you. I think we could all use more laughter in our lives, especially right now. So thanks again for being here with us. Oh, my pleasure. And I hope you can get a laugh or two out of this as well. I will. I'm certain I will. So I'd like to begin with, you know, invite you to kind of tell parts of your story, kind of give us the, the key picture of who is Dr. Lorraine Justice. Okay. Well, let me start out first by saying, um, and, and this isn't to brag, it's just to let you know that this is possible, that I, I've had a great career 
and I've had a great life and I'm 65 uh, at this time and I look back over my years and I think thank God I did some of the things I did because I really would have been regretting it at this point and and so um, I want to encourage people um, as well as maybe help them laugh a little bit so I am from uh, an Italian immigrant family and it was very difficult changing cultures from really a strong Italian culture to an American culture and a lot of that was a lot of funny things went with that though and I had to look at it that way but there were a lot of painful things as well and so we have a saying um, if I wasn't laughing I'd be crying so uh, that that's really the uh, message for this podcast Okay, so tell us a little more about that. So your roots, your roots transformed you into this, that you have this career now today. So kind of give us the key parts of that. Well, uh, I grew up in a very strict Italian household where the women really did not go to college. They were really supposed to stay at home until they got married so they could raise their own family. And um, I remember a conversation with my father and, you know, it was traumatic at the time, but I look back and I, I just, I laugh because it was so ridiculous. And, you know, he was like, why do you want to go to college? Who's going to marry you? And, <laughs> you know, that just sounded so crazy, but I understood it totally because you know, I was supposed to marry, we were from a blue collar town and he was thinking, you know, if you're too, if you're smarter than your husband, that's bad. So, uh, but you know what? I went to college anyway. I left home with $200 in my pocket and never looked back and they were eventually proud, but, um, it was tough. Okay, so teach us a little bit about that culture, because where I come from, I don't really know a lot about the Italian background, but I think that there's a lot of different, you know, um, ethnic backgrounds, there's a lot of different religions, a lot of different belief systems that people have and where they come from. So why would he not have wanted you to explore that? Well, he, looking at it from his vantage point, first of all, in an Italian family, it's all about the family. And your, what you want to do or how you want your life to be comes second. And so it's all about the family and where the family's headed. And, and that's really up to the mother and father of the family. And the children really don't have any say. Or this, I'm talking about the older generation. Um, the, the Italian Americans of today have a lot more freedom than I did and a lot less guilt um, but I thought this is really interesting I'm going to have to radically move away from this culture even if it means separating from my family and upsetting them which is exactly what happened but um, as I said after a while they were proud but um, you know, at least I, I wasn't like my friend who showed up at college with a pizza in her book bag. So, um, <laughs> you know, 
<laughs> there were certain things that we just had to laugh about and, um, you know, try to just keep going. Well, it sounds to me like you really listened and followed your own heart. It was just about doing what you felt was right for you, no matter where you came from, basically, right? Right. All right. So laughter is the best medicine. Now, I happen to know that you've had, you haven't gone into this yet, and I'm sure you're going to tell us a little bit more about your career path. So you have this perhaps serious career. So you go to school, you get educated, and you become a doctor. And then somewhere along the way, you decide to kind of shift that path. So do you want to kind of tell us about how that went? Because it sounds to me like you've been leading your life for a long time, right? From, you know, doing what was right for you, even, you know, against what your family had hoped for you or planned for you. And now, of course, that's continued as you've gotten older. Yes, I've been very fortunate that, um, you know, I look at it this way. I could have either been... Uh, a bartender in my steel mill hometown and on my fourth marriage, uh, possibly addicted to drugs, or I could go to school and, and try to do something. I, I wanted to be an artist, which was even more frivolous um, to my family. They just didn't understand why I would do something like that. I mean, what they knew about artists, you know, that was pretty sketchy and their lives were pretty sketchy. So, uh, but I, I had a different viewpoint. So um, I had mentors along the way, thank goodness. I remember my neighbor, um, she was very American and, and even the food was different. I mean, I remember the first time I saw Brussels sprouts. I. <laughs> It was like, what are those? And then um, I remember when I wanted a hamburger. This was when hamburgers first became popular in the United States. And my mother said, oh, I'll make a hamburger for you. Well, she just made a smashed meatball. It was not. <laughs> I wanted a McDonald's hamburger. And, but I, and you know, I'd kill for one of my mother's hamburgers today, uh, because they were really good, but you know, I was in this transition to being all American and even the food, um, was part of that. So, um, anyway, I, and of course I wasn't the only ethnic in the United States struggling. I mean, we had, um, all kinds of cultural issues and and they're still with us as we know from reading the news today and i feel for these people because they're on a path and they're fighting for their worth and uh, everyone from the immigrants to the african americans to the hispanic everyone and so uh they really every now and then need to appreciate how far they've come and maybe if they can laugh at some of the just ridiculousness. So you just said something so big. I feel like that's uh, like Oprah says, a tweetable moment. You said fighting for their worth. People are out there fighting for their worth. And I think many of the people who are listening right now have not been following their dreams, following their heart, going for what they want because of the limitations of society or their backgrounds or 
you know, even geographically where they live or the, I mean, everything. There's so many restrictions, right? And your story is really quite inspiring because you have defied that and you've said, you know what, I'm going to do what's right for me no matter what. So thank you for sharing that part of your story. Now, you became a professor. Uh, Tell us about the shift in your career path where you kind of continued that journey. Wow. Well, um, interesting. I, I worked in corporate America uh, after college, and it was so disappointing. And, you know, here I had studied design and art, and I was ready and excited to give it my all. And, you know, I would have a boss that would say, here, Lorraine, go make this look pretty. Um, it was just a, a, a whole demeaning um atmosphere especially for being a woman and at one point i was applying for a job with another corporation and if they hadn't had affirmative action i would not have gotten that job they would have said oh she's just going to get pregnant because she's married and newly married and um you know we're better off hiring a guy but they hired me and and i felt very lucky that there was a law in place that said they had to diversify and this was year this was in 1974 um and and the same things are still going on which is why i've become a little bit more of an activist these days so um going from um my background into education i decided i would go back to college for a master's degree and uh, I didn't have any money. So uh, luckily the company I worked for paid for my master's degree. And um, I fell in love with education. And now before that I had said, I will never be a teacher, never. And uh, boy, did I eat my words. I just fell in love with education and research and design. And it was a whole new field. And uh, things just blossomed for me, and I, I really worked hard at it. And but it was funny; I was still a blue-collar girl, and now you know I went from this corporate America, white-collar world, now into academia, um, where that had its difficulties too. I just felt so out of my league. But after a while, I realized. I had more courage, more new ideas, fresh ideas, than, and I could work faster than just about anybody around me. And I kind of kept that to myself, but I kept going and my career took off. Um, it was great. But, you know, I had, I had all these, like, little things happen along the way that I look back and I just laugh. I have one funny story when when I first started in corporate America, um, I was getting dressed in the dark in the morning, so I didn't wake up my husband. (laughs) And I accidentally put on two different shoes. Now, they were different colors, but they were the same shoe. So (laughs) I get, and I was meeting with the chairman of the board that that morning for breakfast. And so (laughs) I hurry up and I call my husband and I said, Steve, I, I, I need my other shoe. And can you, so what happens is my husband takes 
everything out of the bottom of my closet boots slippers everything dumps them into the front of his car comes screeching up to headquarters opens it up and said which one do you need so I'm changing my shoes in front of headquarters and um, and then I get into the meeting and the chairman says to me Lorraine why were you changing your shoes in front of corporate headquarters and so, you know That's... I, I just had crap like that happen. I mean just stupid funny stories but um, it's part of being young and and excitable and not knowing what the heck you're doing Sometimes you just got to throw yourself out there. And it's so funny that you say this because I feel like it's really real. It's just like if people really saw the behind the scenes things. I remember this one time at the time I was driving a minivan because I had three young kids. And I remember this one time I was I went to another community in my province and I was going to be speaking. But I had had car trouble on the way down. And I was late. So the woman that was hosting the event picked me up and I hadn't even changed into my, you know, speaking or professional attire yet. So here I am in the back. She jumped in the front so that I wouldn't be late. I was in the back getting changed. And she looked in the rearview mirror and said to me, like, if they could see us now, <laughs> like it's, of course, I got there, I got onto the stage, I looked all professional and polished, but you know, the behind the scenes stuff is just really real. And I think everybody goes through it. I also really liked how you talked about how much our world has evolved, but yet we have so many, so far to go in, so many issues. Yes, absolutely. And, and you know, I thought we were done with some issues, and I was done with some issues, but not to be. So I've been becoming more vocal, more supportive, um, and really trying to help everybody wherever I can. And I do have a soft spot for immigrants. Um, they're, they're leaving their cultures behind in most cases. They're confused about where, how they're supposed to behave, how they're supposed to act, even how they're supposed to think. I mean, it's such, such a basic change in a person um, when they're taken from one culture and they go into another. I mean, even going from from the U.S. culture to the Canadian culture is, um, I think, you know, it would be so different. First of all, uh, Canadians are so polite. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and every Canadian I've hired in the United States has been so smart. I don't know what you all have in the water up there, but um, no. So here's to Canadians. Yes, exactly. I actually am very proud to be Canadian. That's definitely one of the things, even with my brand, I feel like I'm just so grateful to live in this country. I'm very proud of that. And um, I think what you've referenced here is being brave and compassionate. So these people that you have a soft spot for, you know, immigrants, it's something that you've become more active in supporting. I think if we really remove ourselves from how we live and put ourselves in the position of what that must be like for other people, whether it be an immigrant or otherwise, we can practice more compassion, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Absolutely. And then you're referencing being the, you know, brave and that in so many ways you felt like you were out of your league. How did you get confidence then? Well, you know, I started to realize that some things aren't all they're cracked up to be. Um, <laughs> I was so intimidated when I first went into academia 
And I remember my first faculty meeting. I was like, oh boy, I've made it. I'm at the table. And I was so excited. I'm looking around at all the other faculty. And um, I just, I was just so excited. But you know what? After the fourth hour of discussion about a single word, I decided, okay, I can do better. So... <laughs> That's when I went into administration in education. Interesting. So one brave thing led to the next brave thing to the next brave thing. Because I think the idea here is that you just need to take your first step, right? Absolutely. Hey, everyone. Are you missing motivation? Do you have a project you know you should do, but you can't seem to get inspired to do it? Are you missing that something that gives you energy to get up and add it in the morning? Or have you found yourself in a new space and are trying to figure out how to restart? Over the past 26 years as an entrepreneur, I have learned a powerful system that works for me to find my self-motivation to set and achieve my goals, and I want to share it with you. My new course is called Seven Steps to Self-Motivation and Success, and it's being offered right now for a massive discount. Go check it out at www.corliss.ca backslash shop backslash seven steps. That's the number seven. Here it is again, www.corliss.ca backslash S-H-O-P backslash seven S-T-E-P-S. You'll be so glad you did. Now, why, why is laughter the best medicine? Well, okay, here's the thing. Um, I, every now and then, am prone to depression. And if I let my thoughts go and spiral downward, all of a sudden, I'm depressed. And I'm sure this happens to a lot of other people. So I try to stop myself from thinking, you know, first of all, I, having underlying beliefs that things like, oh, this will never happen for me, or I can't do this, or all those nasty beliefs that we have that are that either we gave ourselves or in our culture or our family or friends helped us generate some of those beliefs. Um, it's really important to stop that thinking somehow and try to switch into something that is either more appreciative or more funny or looking for the ridiculousness in something. Um, it's really about not letting yourself go down that spiral. And you use laughter that way. So give us an example. I know on one of the conferences that we had shared in, you had talked about how you kind of, you know, were able to find the laughter. So tell us about that. Well, um, I have to admit, I was fortunate. That was one aspect of my family that was so great, and, and they were funny. And um, they would look at the ridiculousness of things. When uh, I moved to Hong Kong um, to be the dean of um, a design school there, my husband and daughter went with me, and at first it was 
it was kind of a lonely experience, but it was also euphoric because everything was new. And then I started to know, and now I'm short, I'm five foot and I'm overweight. And I started to look around and I thought, I am taller than these people. I can actually look down on some people's heads, not down on their character, but just physically. And I, and it just seems so funny because I was, I'm so short in the United States and, but in Hong Kong, you know, the people are very petite and don't have the height. And so I just started to look at all the funny, funny things in the culture that were contrasted and kept a great log of them and have so many stories from being there. Um, and you know, everything from the food, you know, like a thousand year old egg I you know I'd love to see the chicken this came from or maybe I don't um I remember when I was given a fish head and in the Italian culture if you're given you know like a fish wrapped up or whatever that's bad that means like you know we might want to kill you next week and so <laughs> but in the in that culture it was a distinction and an honor and I was terrified because I thought, and they, they were all looking at me at the table when I received my fish head. And I was like, my God, do I have to eat this thing? Do I have to eat? I was grossing myself out going, do I have to eat the eyes? And so thankfully, this one very nice man leaned over and said, no, you just eat the cheeks of the fish head. And and that didn't help at all. I was gagging by this point. And so it's just, you have to just look at the ridiculousness. So I didn't go home that night and say, oh, I had a crappy dinner and I, I really didn't enjoy the food and this and that. I I just kind of went into appreciation and and laughing about the whole thing. Well, every experience, you can find something ridiculous. I like how you've said that because it's like find the ridiculousness in it. So when people are faced with challenges, how can they find something to laugh at? Because right now, there is just so much seriousness going on. I mean, people are stressed and worried and anxious. And you know how you said earlier, it can just downward spiral if you allow that to happen. So it's like to look for something to laugh about. How can people do that when it feels so serious? Well, first of all, it's it's very difficult to go right from trauma or panic or seriousness into laughter. You have to kind of think about it and you have to get yourself in the mood. And there's even something called a laughter therapy. And it's where you just start, try to start laughing. And... Um, my husband and I have this crazy thing where we will kind of make fun of different types of laughs. Like some people laugh, they'll go, ha, ha, you know, it's just one uh, big laugh. And some people chuckle, <laughs> some people, you know, it sounds like they're spitting water out of their nose. I mean, so you kind of start laughing about laughing and, um, and then, once you're in that laughing mood, you think about what your situation is. And so you're coming at it from funny, but you kind of need that transition. Um, and I know it's crazy, but you know, practice 
you, you know, when you can shut the other thoughts off, practice laughing a little bit, even if um, you feel like an idiot, which you will, um, but that's part of it. It's, it's really to just try to laugh at life. Mm-hmm. Not take it quite so seriously. A lot of times I talk about what you focus on expands. I mean, that's kind of a universal principle. And I think what you're referencing here, at least from my perspective, maybe you can add a little bit more to it. But the idea here is, is that if you focus on the problems, if you focus on the challenges, it expands and it can get more depressing and it can get, you can just feel so heavy. So the idea here is to focus on and find something that you, brings you joy, something that's good. Maybe it's a gratitude practice. Maybe it's like, hey, this is funny. Like I'm so uncomfortable right now that I can laugh at myself. Maybe it's just about lightening up and not taking life so, so seriously and not focusing so much energy on it. Right. And, you know, I'm not talking about situations where maybe someone has died and there's grieving. You need to grieve. But, you know, if it's something that you're beating yourself up about, something that you said to somebody or something that you wished you hadn't done or something like that, it's really great to just, like, laugh about it and, uh, and be silly about it. Uh, so, you know, not everything, some things are serious and you need to grieve and some things aren't. And I think that if people can really lighten up a little bit and relax, uh, it's such a stress reliever and it really helps them. But they really might have to practice at it, especially if, if they don't think they're funny. Mm, yeah, I like that. I like the question that you just gave there too, that it's like, is this really that serious? Like, am I just making it more serious or can I lighten up on this a little bit? So it's almost like just a self-awareness. Yes. And then I, I think it was Mark Twain who said, um, I've had a terrible life and some of the things actually happened to me. In other words, uh, I don't think that's the exact quote, but in other words, he worried about so many things that never even happened and um, or weren't going to happen. And I think we all do that. It's our way of trying to prepare um, for things that might go wrong, but it really gets us into a negative frame of mind. Mm, yeah, we are our own worst enemy sometimes, aren't we? Oh, yes. So you have obviously made some changes in your career. You've had a long-standing career. And I know one of the things that you decided to venture into was stand-up comedy. Now that's got to be a tough place to be. I think, first of all, public speaking, super scary for people. Never mind trying to make people who are so serious laugh. Tell us what that was like and why you even wanted to do that. Well, for me, stand-up comedy is the ultimate of giving. It's courage. It's letting other people know that um, they're human just like everybody else and maybe to get them to laugh about themselves if they can. So my goal was to do um, some stand-up comedy and I decided I was going to have to go out of town to do it because, um, you know, I'm a professor in my town and I, I just thought it'd be best if I went somewhere else to do my first stand up so I could, you know, maybe say some things that were a little off color. But um, if you want to really 
a live experience with your hair standing on end, I recommend uh, stand-up comedy. You know, it just sounds to me like whether it's stand-up comedy for the audience or if it's something that's just completely out of your comfort zone, there's a couple of things that you said. The first one was it was about ultimately serving other people. And that's an interesting perspective because I would have never seen or thought that in stand-up. But the other thing, too, is it's so inspiring to kind of push your limit and, and venture into something new and different completely. Did that kind of shake up your life and kind of help you grow as, as a person? Or, or what was that all about? What was that like? Oh, absolutely. Well, I... I was nervous, but I loved it. And I was more interested to get a message out there. Um, you know, I've been overweight my entire life. And, I, you know, I was probably born like 150 pounds. Anyway, um, but I've still managed to, you know, get married, have children and, and, and all that. And um that's the other thing and i know that people feel so badly about their weight and i decided to just i so anyway i actually did my first stand up in in washington dc in the outskirts and um i drove down with to visit a friend and, and did the comedy club thing but um i started talking about um being overweight and sex and how my husband, how I said, my poor husband, he just wants to have sex. And I said, okay, but you can't touch my fat. And that would be here and here and here. And I'm pointing to different areas of my body. And he thinks about it for a minute. And then he says, okay. So <laughs> anyway, it was just, you know, how do you lighten up a situation that, that could be so shaming and um, and really just take that shame away from it and laugh about it. Mm, mm, that's good. So take the shame away and just kind of laugh about it. So instead of being humiliated or embarrassed or ashamed, you just kind of go, this is what it is and lighten up and laugh about it. Is that the steps that you're suggesting to people? Absolutely. And it could be on any topic ex unless it's not legal. <laughs> true story good thing you put that in there this is a disclaimer <laughs> That's right. we want to keep all you criminals out of there <laughs> tell us um what are some of the steps so okay so people you know have themselves all worked up what are some of the steps that people can do to calm themselves and you know not take life so seriously even when there's seriously serious things going on well um one of the things is to think about storytelling like if you were going to tell your friend what you just did or what just happened to you and you, you want to put it in a story format right away that kind of distances you from the immediate pain of what just happened and if you're telling a story and then if you want it to be funny, you have to think about how to structure it, you know, when to do the timing, where to put, things like that. So it does take a little bit of practice, but if you think about it as telling us a, a story, that's really how you can get into some of the funny stuff. And distance yourself a little bit from the fresh pain. 
Like I, okay, I have, I have an example of that. I had a very embarrassing moment in Hong Kong um, when I, and I think I told this story before, but I'll tell it again. I got onto the elevator in my, in my um, apartment building and I lived on the 43rd floor a long way up. So um, a woman gets on the elevator with her small son and I'm standing on one side and they're on the other. And all of a sudden, this little boy comes over and he smacks my stomach. And um, I said before, I, I'm overweight. And and so he smacks my stomach and he, he goes, fat bastard. And I was in such shock. I, I couldn't speak for a moment because I, I didn't know what to say. I was just stuck. So... <laughs> Talk about the ridiculousness. So the, the mother, I'm looking at the mother, seeing how she's going to respond. And she leans down to the little boy. And I'm thinking, oh, she's going to tell him to apologize. She's going to tell him that wasn't nice. All that stuff. <laughs> she leans to the little boy and she says, no, no, honey. That's a woman. And so <laughs> I was just like, I can't believe this. You know, so, um, you know, and that's when I decided I really needed to let my hair grow. Um, so, no, I'm just kidding. So I, uh, you know, these thing, funny things happen all the time, but we just don't, some of them are cringeworthy, of course. Um, but, you know, why not laugh at them? Well, when I think about this story, I'm just envisioning it as you're in the elevator. I mean, a lot of people would have been upset about the mother. They would have talked about how horrible that was, how she wasn't teaching her child. You know, they would have allowed it to be like beat up on themselves and feel less worthy or uncomfortable and ashamed with themselves. And instead, it's just like, hey, that's super funny, right? That that happened. I like the realness of this. Thanks for sharing that story. Yeah, I've got a lot of funny little stories, um, you know, and a lot of them were embarrassing, but, you know, that's life. That's life. I like how you summarize that. When, you know, when you were saying about the story format, I like that too, because, you know, a long time ago, my mom kind of taught me something, you know, if you remove yourself, if you're in a difficult situation, Remove yourself emotionally, like act like, you know, you're, it's your best friend that's going through this and you're not the one that's in this emotional tough situation. Remove yourself from it and kind of what advice would you give that person if you were removed from it? So in this case, you could just be like, how do I remove myself from this and how do I find what's funny about the situation that I'm going through right now? And like you said, obviously there's things that are really hard and you know, if you're going through loss and grief or bankruptcy or whatever you're going through, it's pretty hard to find the funny, but maybe we just practice finding something to be humored or enjoy or whatever in day-to-day -day life. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's about distracting yourself too from um, a lot of feelings that you just, you, you can feel them, but you don't want to dwell on them. And then, you know, it's also about being in service to other people. I, I truly believe that I, I like people to feel entertained. I feel that I need to be interesting so they can enjoy their moments with me. 
I, it's really about them. And, um, and again, so that's the other thing. When you're doing it for other people, you can certainly go out of your comfort zone a little bit more. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, this reminds me of a story of uh, my very first time p speaking. And for those of you that are uncomfortable with the idea of a panty liner, I'm going to ask you to just skip the next 30 seconds or so. But <laughs> I had this thing happen. So I was so excited about this opportunity to speak in front of a lot of people. It was my big first time, like, speaking in front of lots of people and it was at a business conference where it was supposed to be all business and I bought this beautiful new grayish kind of mauve colored suit and I was just like pumped and excited that I was going to do this and right before I went on stage I went into the bathroom and I was like prepping myself like you're going to do great you know I was going through the whole thing because I was so nervous and a friend of mine comes in and she's like you know what you are going to do great but whatever you do do not lift your arms and I looked down and honest to goodness, well, you know what happens when you wear gray? Well, I had sweat stains so big that even with my arms down, you could see them. It was awful. And I, she did not, I, it was too late. I couldn't go change and she was a different size than me. There was no way I could fix this situation. So I thought, well, what am I going to do? So I went out there and just said, like, I have learned so much from this already, this experience. I've already learned not to sweat the small stuff. And I just showed them the sweat. <laughs> and the whole room burst out laughing. It was so funny. <clears throat> the next day, or after the presentation was done, this woman comes up to me and she says, you know, I have a solution for you. If you just put a panty liner inside your armpit, like, it'll absorb the sweat. And I was like, that is brilliant. So the next time I went to present in front of a big audience, I decided, you know what, I'm going to put that panty liner in there. This is brilliant. I am armed and ready, literally. And as people were arriving, I was greeting someone. And can you believe that I looked down and the panty liner was like out the slip of my sleeve. And she looked at my hand. I looked at my hand and I was like, oh my goodness. And the panty liner was literally sticking out. It was unbelievable. Her name was Julia. We just, I, I just didn't even know. I tucked it back in and act like I thought, well, maybe she'll think she was hallucinating, you know, and I still, I mean, it was so embarrassing and it was just such a humiliating experience, both of them. And yet it's just so funny. It's like, we, you just have to laugh about it. Like when those ridiculous things happen and, you know, still to this day, it's still funny to me that that happened and that it's a true story. So, um, any additional thoughts that you want to add here, Lorraine? Well, first of all, Corliss, that is hilarious. You know, I think we could do a whole show on cringeworthy moments um, <laughs> <laughs> and just share. And, um, but no, I, I want, first of all, I want to thank you for having me on. Um, it's been a pleasure and I hope people have gotten at least one laugh. Um, and I want to say just give yourself a hug and keep going. I like it. Now I do have three closing questions that I'm going to ask you. And I ask all of my guests to share on these specific ones. So uh, before we do that though, how can people, if people wanted to connect with you, how can they find you? I am at www.lorrainejustice.com. I'll spell Lorraine, L-O-R-R-A-I-N-E. J-U-S-T-I-C-E dot com or email me at Lorraine Justice at gmail dot com. 
Excellent. Thank you. Now the three final closing questions. What does leadership mean to you? Well, leadership to me uh, is about being a role model. It's about including people into that leadership world. It's about welcoming and caring for people. And it's about, you know, having conviction to stand up for the people you want to support. It, it takes courage to do that. Mm-hmm. And go by example. Good stuff. Now, if there was one book or one podcast that really impacted you that people need to check out, now I realize there's obviously libraries and libraries and thousands and thousands of options, but perhaps there's one book or one podcast that really have impacted you. Would you like to, you know, recommend them to people now? Yeah, um, there's one book. um, It's a little bit deep, but it really changed my life. It's called Sapiens by... Yuval Harari and it's um, this is going to sound heavy but it's it's what it means to be human and um, and just looking at the evolution of what our our human race had to go through to get where we are it's it's amazing it's it's amazing that we're still here so anyway it, that's kind of a big picture fascinating book for me and then um, some of the podcasts I've been loving have been from something called Mind Valley. Um, they do a lot of free podcasts and free videos on. Uh, it's a lot of self help, and I I've been doing self help reading for ever since it came out, and um, I probably have every self help book that was ever written, and uh, got something from it. So. Um, I would check out the Mind Valley podcasts mm-hmm. as well as Corliss's <laughs> Yes, of course. You must continue to listen to conversations with Corliss. Thanks, Lorraine. <laughs> Definitely. Okay, so the final closing question, I realize that this one is a hard one because I'm going to ask you for one piece of advice. Now, you've lived a long life, you've had many experiences, you've experienced highs and lows as you've as you've gone through your life. If you could leave people with just one piece of advice, what would you want to leave them with? Well, one is for an appreciation for the times that you're living in. Even though there are a lot of bad things happening and things that need to change, it's amazing that uh, the personal freedoms that some of us have in the world and and even just a few generations ago, I had relatives who, you know, they were kind of sad and bitter that they couldn't do with their life what they wanted to do. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, here we are in, you know, in a land where we can do whatever we want and we have to take advantage of that. And so you need to really do your own thing Figure out what you want your contribution to be. You don't want to get to the end of your life and think, oh, I should have done this or done that. Uh, I'm, as I said, I'm 65 now and I am so grateful I took some of the risks I took. And um, it, it just had such impact for me and for my family. So you got to get out there and do do the thing you love. Hmm. 
Such a great closing thought. We live in a world of opportunity and we just have to seize it. And if we really look at what our ancestors went through before us and how limited their opportunities were in comparison to us, we truly are blessed. Thank you so much for joining us today, Lorraine. I appreciate you being here and taking the time. Thank you, Corliss. We'll be in touch soon. Have a wonderful day, everyone. If you enjoyed this episode and it brought you value, make sure and share it with a friend or screenshot it and post it to your Instagram story or Facebook, tagging me at Corliss Co. I know the most precious of all commodities is your time, and I want to thank you all very much for spending this time with me today. Remember, you have the power to lead. Know your worth, embrace your value, see you have purpose, and be the leader you are meant to be.